Yeah, I think it'd just be a cool look for us if we were just like. Is this on? Yeah, I threw it on like a couple minutes ago. Oh. Welcome to Top Fins Talk. And we're back, and I'm so excited because we have another episode during the international break here. I'm your host, Tim. And I'm your other host, Marcin. And we have with us a special guest, uh, special not only because he writes for uh, journalists that have to go with uh, Milan as well as uh, he's just a great guy all around, uh, America's sweetheart. We have Matt here. Matt Santangelo here. Thanks for having <laughs> me on, guys. I appreciate it. Pleasure of ours. Pleasure of ours to have you on, dude. So we have a couple topics that we're going to go over. Marson's going to take the lead on this one. Uh, we're going to touch on a lot of subjects. And if you hear us stuttering or if you hear us just stop talking altogether, it's because we're continuing the trend of watching a football game while we're talking about it. Which, once again, is a terrible idea. And, <laughs> uh, depend, I guess, yeah, no, it's pretty rough because uh, this game, uh, it's the Israel versus Poland game. And uh, been pretty decently contested, gotta say. And uh, by decently contested, I mean Israel did not have one shot on target during the first half. Nope. Uh, but neither, nevertheless, we continue to watch and we continue to talk. So Marcin's gonna take it on. Cool. So in terms of this episode, we have deemed it the international break special. And by that, we have new topics that we're gonna kind of talk about. We're gonna have some fun a little bit later on with some uh, obscure topics that we haven't really hit. Uh, but obviously, since it's an international break special, we want to talk about international football at the for, at the forefront. And the big topic, and of course, something that's most football fans are going to be watching over the next year, is going to be next year's Euro, which is spread across I think twelve different cities uh, across the entire uh, across the entire content. So we're going to have some fun uh, talking about top contenders for next Euro 2020. Um, so what I'd like to have guys kind of kind of do today is do like a top three from each of us and kind of uh, give your explanation of why you think those are your top three contenders for next year's Euros. So we're going to kind of go around and we're going to kind of give our little uh, views on which of these countries and why we kind of chose these countries. So Tim, start us off today. Oh, actually, you know, even though I would be the one to start us off, I think it's only fair we have a guest in the house. Ooh, that was not a bad free kick. But it's only fair we have a guest in the house. So Matt should actually go first on All this right. one. Fair play, Matt. Back to my fire. Here we go. Um, Let's go. So this one's very difficult to do because I think um, you both would agree with me that there's so many deep teams, deep squads, and it feels like it's thrown, a lot of these squads in these nations are only deeper by the year. Um, you know, we talked about you know in, in previous years with Spain how much depth they have, not only in their regular squad but at their U21 level which I think is very fascinating and how, seeing how a lot of those players have kind of graduated through that U21 level, which has been very successful for Spain and have now made um, headway into the uh, the first team. But I'm going to start with my, uh, in no order, this is not a, you know, a ranking, you know, one, two, three. This is just my top three overall. Um, and I guess I can give you at the end where I think you know, my, my um, favoritism lies with yeah, them. Yeah, sure. So I'm going to start with France, I think, obviously, as the... Um, the World Cup champ, reigning World Cup champions, and, and a squad that's just stacked top from bottom. I think it's definitely fair and within right for me to put them in there my, as my one of my top three nations. Um, top to bottom, you look at all the talent they have beyond Mbappe, uh, Conte, the, you know, Griezmann. They just have a, a lot of serial winners and players who've been there before, which I think in a tournament format, I think is very important. I think you know it's easy to have the you know the next big talent you know like a Mbappe and you know some of the other players we're going to get into in uh, in later in the, in the in the podcast. But 
I just think having that blend and that mixture of experience and that that youth to kind of you know excite, dazzle, and ultimately you know gain all the headlines and with obviously a good performance at the Euro, possible uh, a possible big move. Um, so France is definitely going to be in there for sure. Um, again, I want to reiterate, there's so many good eight nations here, so keeping it down to three is is it's difficult. Rough. But um, yeah, it's, a tough, um, it's a tough choice. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's very tough. I'm going to say. Uh, one of my next nations is going to be Belgium. I think, you know, we, we, before we went on the air, um, the guys and I have been talking about, you know, Belgium at the 2014 World Cup against USA. And, you know, some of the some of the players they had at that squad, like a young Eden Hazard, um, obviously Lukaku was banging in goals for Everton. Um, they had some really good players, uh, Vincent Kompany, another one as well. So they were a very experienced side, but also had a lot of youth on the team that was projecting to be very good down the road. Down the road, excuse me. Um, but now I feel like this is that era that um, Belgium really has to kind of capitalize on. Top to bottom, they have so much talent, um, a lot of young talent, a lot of uh, veteran talent that they can really um, rely on in, in delicate moments and delicate situations against really good opponents. So the, overall, I think they're going to be in one of my nations. And Italy is going to be my third. And the reason why I say Italy is I think they're coming into this tournament with a chip on their shoulder, something to prove after not um, you know, making the World Cup. But they had a really good 2016 Euro um, under Conte, so if I think it's people are quick to forget because of the, uh, the horrors and nightmares of you know that game against the, the playoff against Sweden. Right. Um, but when you look at their squad and you look at the fact that Roberto Mancini has ushered in a lot of new players throughout the Euro, Euro qualifying campaign, um, every round it's it's someone. It's Tonali, it's Barella, it's Sensi, it's you know the list goes on and on. Even early on, Moise came before he started struggling at Everton. Um, so I think Italy are a side that's going to be fascinating to watch. I think they still have that that old guard, or at least a couple pieces of it, with Bonucci, mm-hmm. Chiellini if he comes back. Verratti is, is pretty experienced. He had the 2014 World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, he was at the Euro as well. So they have veteran a veteran presence where they need it. My only issue or concern with them is that it may be for like, similar to what Belgium experienced earlier. Right. Is it too soon for them to really be like, all right, we're going to make a deep run? But I think those are my three, again, Putting it down to three is very difficult. I think that was a shocker of the Italian picking it. Yeah. The, Itali- the I don't know. Italy I national mean, team. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you don't think with Belgium, you don't think with Belgium that maybe their defense has passed it a little bit. Yeah, I think that's it's a deep here's here's the thing though that's I think I think in a I think in a short format and in a short, I think it's uh-huh. very difficult to gauge right because I think right. we see it so many times with certain individuals how you know everyone we're watching Poland here and I think they're a prime example of that you know they had a really good Euro and everyone was like they were ranked I think eighth or ninth going into yeah, the World Cup and everyone was yeah. like they're going to be a team that's you know very you should keep you know keep, keep an, an eye, eye on, on in the World yeah, Cup and they got humbled yeah. Senegal you know Japan I think Colombia yeah. they they really took it to them so I yeah. think in a short format it's really difficult to gauge them we even saw it with Portugal where right. they lost Ronaldo in the final but someone comes out of somewhere to kind of lift them up and, and win something so right. you, mean, you mean coach Ronaldo coach Ronaldo coach Ronaldo <laughs> but look it, it, just to wrap it up I think Belgium you know you could look at some players like a Vertonghen and you know right. some of the players that you could say you know maybe they're a little bit older in this format um, and maybe it doesn't suit them after a long season, mind you. Right. Um, but I will say this, though. I think in a short format, you know, in, in those delicate moments, those delicate situations, having that leadership in the maybe defensive area um, is very key. I don't know. But I don't know if that leadership – so, like, here's the only reason. I'm no, not, no, I'm course. not trying to contest it, right? No, so no, no. That's, that's the, good. The reason that I'm, I'm looking at it from this way is that most of the time you take – take France, for example. Right. France went uh, – they had the Euros that where they made it to the final home turf. They lost. They were humbled that it was an awful experience for them, right? right? They come back to the World Cup, quietly handle business, right? Right. My only counterpoint to it when it comes to Belgium is like they have this awesome golden generation that they're trying to use. But at the same time, A, they never 
really troubled to going to a final per se, right? So like mm-hmm. they're not really looked at on they're that. They're not battle tested. Exactly. So right, like right. you know, you have that and then you look at those guys like Vertonghen and you look at Tottenham season, they're in like fourteenth place right now or something right. along those lines. So you have these guys where you're like, I, I don't know, I think the argument is is here, like, are they gonna come correct for this he, tournament? Here's the here's the thing too, and then I know we you know you guys are we gonna give, <laughs> your guys are gonna give <laughs> your threes. But I will say this and yeah. then I'll let you guys go. Yeah. Is I think with you know we all see how different the stark differences between club football and international football, how certain players just turn it on. True. Perfect. I, yeah. I always talk, the perfect example of this is a, 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 a completely different player international compared to when he puts on a club uniform. All the ones he had over the course of his career is Lucas Podolski. That's One fair. of those players that, That's you fair. know, when he comes, when he throws Germany on and there's a seven, six or seven, eight games, whatever it is, he played the World Cup. He's here. He's, he's always, he's, yeah. play, he's the same guy. Exactly. You know, so, and then when he comes to Bayern and Cologne and some of the other players, Arsenal, yeah. Yeah. you know, he just didn't have it. So, like, yeah. I think there's certain players, again, that, you know, you can say, they're very handful, very select handful that are like, they can do it for both. Right. Uh, but I think, again, Belgium, I just think they have the experience in certain departments, but with, the, obviously, the skill of Hazard yeah. and his brother, Thorgan. Like a comfort level. Right, right. Where, where they know they know who they are and they know who they can rely on to deliver when they need them to. Gotcha. No, I, I love it. Yeah. I love it. So I, I will take my three now. Take your so three. I will take my three. Uh, so first, obviously, France. I mean, yeah. who isn't yeah. going to have them? Absolutely. They're a powerhouse of a team. And the crazy thing about France is you look at Germany when they won their World Cup, yeah. right? You look at Germany when they won theirs, and then the next major tournament came around. And it wasn't necessarily that you were saying that this team isn't as good, but you were looking at it and you went, okay, well, who's stepping in for this player who right. stepped out? And there wasn't as much depth generationally. And you look at France, and it's just generational depth down the road. And, like the, there's- and the thing is, Junja, just real quick to touch on, I think what France is interesting too is because, you know, you look at it, yes, you know, people think that they look at the World Cup win. But to your point, they were beaten by the Eder goal in the Euro. Yeah, that they could have very well been on their way to a Spain type like dynasty, and they could right. still be. Right. Exactly. So, so I think I think we're looking at something special with the France team. Uh, Holland gets my vote as well. Okay. Uh, Holland. Sure. Holland. I'm partial to. Uh, you know, I love the Dutch. I love the way they play. Uh, obviously, you know, Johan Cruyff is. I like. He's made ripples throughout the whole footballing world in his lifetime, and. I think this team benefits from having that AX core of mm-hmm. players that kind of were raised that way. Uh, so, and of course, you have a huge unit in Virgil Van Dijk in the back, as well as uh, Matthias Delict. So, I think they're I think they're in really good shape as a national team. Um, I would say that they are uh, a country where I would believe. Woo-hoo! Sorry, Sorry. <laughs> is that a goal? It was, was a that? goal. Yeah, that yeah, was a goal. Count, way to go! Oh, and we're getting chippy at the end of it. Oh man, unbelievable! So, a- anyways, so that's that's the drawback of watching a game during the yeah. podcast. You get distracted very easily. Uh, so, anyways, back to Holland. I think they're one of those teams that uh, they need. They don't have that test. They don't like Matt said. They're not battle tested. So that's the hard part where I have backing it's them. Not, it's kind of it's tough to gauge where they're at right now. Exactly. So yeah. you know, League of Nations. They obviously did extremely well. Um, and then my last pick is actually England. So the reason that I pick England is England went out to a really determined Croatia at the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've come back with some uh, with some serious depth. They're only producing more talent. You look at uh, Ben Chilwell, uh, Chilwell, I believe. Chilwell, yeah, Chilwell. at Leicester City. Yeah. At Leicester, he's mm-hmm. a great look. Uh, Joe Gomez is coming back in a form himself after James uh, Madison. James Madison yeah. is another great example. So that's that's where I look at teams that do well at these tournaments. Is 
you may not be battle tested just yet, but if you can produce players generationally that can replace other players in key moments, that's the for, that's the formula for victory for me. That's how you avoid, and that's how you avoid going through like that little like drought, like for instance, that Italy had in 2010 and 2014, right. where bowing out early of a World Cup. Holland as well. Holland yeah. had a rough exactly. patch as well. Yeah, you know, on that last generation fading out. So the one of the last talking points, and uh, I would be curious to get Marson's opinion on this because he is both for and against Ronaldo at this point in the year. <laughs> uh, he loves the guy, uh, but at the same time, not really doing uh, doing bits for Juventus at this point. Uh, so really Ronaldo's last, and I guess you would say he's still firing goals in for Portugal. So his last major tournament where he's really still in good enough shape that, that you know, you think he could make the difference. Uh, so I'll let Marson take the lead on that one, but uh, an interesting story to tell because we always think that legends never stop playing, but the guy's a legend. Uh, father game. time is undefeated. Exactly. I mean, yeah. the, there are certain players that are exceptions to that. Obviously, Ibrahimovic, Ronaldo are probably going to be two of the guys that are in such great shape, and their body wise, they're not. Yeah. They're not 34, 35, 38. True, but you look at Ibra and Ibra. But they got a lot of miles on them. It's yeah. like the Kobe Bryant effect, right? Yeah, but yeah, but look at Ibra. Ibra yeah. retired on international. He couldn't do it on the international yeah. level. It's a different ball game. Back After in- a long season, yeah. I always yeah. like to reiterate that. So, Absolutely. So in terms of me thinking if this is Ronaldo's last season, I don't. I, if you look at it, if you look at it just from like a plain, getting choked up. I am getting choked up. It's such a sensitive topic. Sensitive topic. <laughs> so if you look at it from a normal fan's perspective, if you look at it, his age and how he's produced, uh, you would say that, yes, maybe this is his last tournament. But I think we know Ronaldo as a person, and I think we know Ronaldo has his ego as somebody storms the pitch at the polling game. <laughs> oh, um, damn. So, <laughs> oh boy. So you look at. You oh, and he's booking it too. He, he, uh, we're going to have to stop the press on this one. This man has got show, legs. They're showing so, it. They're oh, show, he they're forgot sh- his studs. Real <laughs> quick, guys. I'm sorry to interrupt this, but in, in any other live broadcast, they never show the, the, the streaker, the pitch invader. They yeah. showed his entire route across the field. Unbelievable. <laughs> they like oh, mapped man. it out for us. He's yeah. like, he went here and then did the corner play. Or is that I think just he hit a... someone. I think he tackled. Oh, my goodness. The Poland player. Oh man! Oh, or the Poland team's cramping up. Oh, man. Anyway, let's fall. Let's, let's go back. Let's go power through. Anyway. Power through. Power through. Power through. Power through. Power through. So, <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of like I said, I think we know Ronaldo at this point, and I think we know he has a little bit of an ego, and what top tier superstar isn't going to have an ego. Right. And realistically, I can't say this is going to be his last tournament. He's going to look at that next World Cup and be like, "Hey, listen, like I want to keep the playing." One thing he doesn't have either, right? And he it. knows Portugal are in a good position, right? Yeah. He has his Euro, so like he knows he has an international tournament and a win under his belt. So that's that's great for him. So I know he he's obviously going to be a, a big player in, the, in this year's squad for Portugal for this coming of Euro. But he's going to want one more opportunity to win a World Cup because he's going to be 37. Even if he's, let's say, not in the best shape at that point, like we can't predict what, how he's going to play in two and a half years. But if he's going to be available and, and want to go to the, to the World Cup, I can't see Portugal being like, no. No, nah, they'll still bring him. But yeah, I mean, they'll bring him though, but I don't know. I, so here's the other part is you talk about his ego. I, he's somebody that always wants to be involved. But at the same time, I got to give him credit for the fact that he seems to be more often than not, at least on the national side, putting his country before himself. So I could actually, you know, a couple of years ago, if you asked me, do you see Ronaldo mm-hmm. at the age of 37, 38, looking at uh, being a bench player at the World Cup with his national team? Uh, and I would have turned around and I would have been, <laughs> I would have said absolutely no way. Uh, but if you look at it now, I think he's kind of got that maturity to him now where I think we could see him being a being a bit player at a World Cup. Well, well, here's the thing. I want. I will, I will say this. 
is that in most cases I would say yes because I think if he was in that position or that predicament where he had to pass the baton over to someone as to be the it guy, right? I think you would have to look and say, well, who's who's the next guy in line to wear and to carry that burden right. up front, which has always been so so taken care of, right? right? It's for so many years, right? Right. You look at it. Is it Andre Silva? Andre Silva has been producing internationally. He hasn't been able to do it at Milan and Sevilla on loan. He's doing okay at Frankfurt right now. But you have to ask yourself, if Ronaldo's going to step aside, I think he's going to want to leave his nation in a, in a situation where he believes that they can win. So I think to what Marson's, I think, is, is to his point, is that I think he's got – this is Euro's probably his last major tournament where like we right. could expect like good Ronaldo. Right, right. I think even if he takes a different role at Portugal, right. in previous years he's never had that supporting cast like he does now with Silva, right. Neves, right. all these players in certain areas – so I think even if he's not the main, main guy where it's like, Ronaldo, we need you to carry us through to the final. He's, right. He can still he's, score and pick and choose where he's going to He's going to say, hey, I have an opportunity to win right. something here. I right. want to be part of that. Absolutely. And, to, and, I, and I would also say that, you know, to Marson's point for it, if you're the, if you're the coach at the time and, who, and, you know, heaven knows who's the coach is actually going to end up being at that time. But, you know, if you're, if you're the coach at the time of this next World Cup and you decide, okay, I'm going to bring Ronaldo along and he doesn't end up being the starting player – but you're in a pinch where you go, like, I really need a goal, and I need somebody a fox in the box. Ronaldo's become that fox right. in the box. He's not the same sprinter, dazzler, like, dribbler. Right. He still does it in spurts at Juve, but yeah. he's more secluded to the box where he's going to be just, like, a potent finisher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So so that's a so that's kind of our take collectively I when mean, it comes to— uh, Or I can just give my top three because I didn't do that. That's uh, true. He didn't give his top three. Well, I meant on the Ronaldo bit. Oh, yeah. yeah. I thought you were just moving on. I was like, yeah, no, right. no, no, you no, get no, no opinion. I'm just, just going to no sit here and sit quietly in the corner. Like you get I no opinion do. because he's just going to go pull and pull and pull and, yes. and then pull and again. Actually, I'm going to start with Bulgaria. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, Belarus. <laughs> Belarus. So, so it's tough doing these and going last because usually how it always ends up is your choices are already taken or have already been said. Recovered, yeah. So, in the in the sense of me kind of moving this along, like I'm gonna say yes, France for for all those reasons, their their generational mm. kind of gap in between the next generation is is pretty much none because they have that next generation already coming into the squad. There's just so much depth, there's so much talent, so right. there's really nothing else I can add to France. Like we we know how good they are, and and to whoever said it earlier, they, they're the current World Cup champion, so they're currently still labeled the best team in the world, right. and that's what their that's what their title is going into this Euro. So I can't really kind of root against them. Uh, second team uh, already has been said was up, that I was really high on was England. What you just mentioned, right? Kind of for. Kind of all these things that I've kind of seen lately from the squad if, is Raheem Sterling kind of playing up to his like full potential, becoming really, in my opinion, a top five player in the world at this point. Right. Um, you have that defense, which is kind of being solidified right now at the back. You have players like Jaden Sancho coming into the fold, and you have the talent. You can see that team really making a deep run um, into a tournament because, like you mentioned before, it's, it's a short tournament. All you need is form for, what, six, seven matches, and, and you're the champion. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what I see with... Uh, with England, and then my last choice is going to be the la- the only one that, that hasn't been said. Is I'm going to go with Spain. Uh, mm. You you can't go wrong with with the Spanish national team. They, no. They're ooh. Ooh, Levy almost scored another goal. Uh, they ooh. they literally <laughs> such a bad idea to watch a game. Ooh, <laughs> I almost had one. <laughs> Um, back oh, to Spain. Man. Spain, obviously, they had that golden generation, but you still have these great talents coming in. You still have veteran presence, like, mm. like for example, like a David Silva in that midfield. Mm. So I still think they have enough talent, and obviously their play style of that tiki-taka, that old-school Spanish possession style, is still pretty 
pretty pertinent today in today's football. I mean, most teams try to obviously play that way. So I can definitely see Spain kind of uh, making a run and kind of combining the old guard with the with the new guard coming in and really kind of making a run deep into that tournament. I don't know. I think they just have too much of the same player. <laughs> well, here's, here's <laughs> like, like a like like a Xavi Iniesta I'll, cloned I'll 11 t- times. I'll, I'll touch on Spain. I'll touch I on Spain. And I think it's actually shocking too that you know again it's three teams right because right. They, we didn't mention Germany. We didn't mention right. two of us didn't mention Spain or Germany. Right. right. You know what I'm saying? But I think Spain are in that they're in that position where. You know, and I, it's funny because I talked about this on a, on a podcast of my own with my buddy, and we were talking about Spain, and we were looking at like Spain's roster and how they've become um, less dependent on the Barca and Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid. Like, if you look at top to bottom of this, the players they have, right. like they have a lot of depth in certain squads in Spain. Right. So they're not like just oh, Javi, Iniesta, you know, Torres, like the, yeah. the same guys that we saw all throughout that, that era. Right. But talking to, speaking on England a little bit, because I think England are always the most fascinating team to watch, is that because unlike some of the other nations we've mentioned, mm-hmm. English football is the most taxing, the most grueling because of the schedule. There's so many right. matches they play, and I think that's, that's kind of what's contributed to their demise or, or failure to meet expectations in tournaments because right. they're getting into these, these tournaments and they got the talent, Sterling, Kane, I mean... Top to bottom, they have the, the players there. They're playing in the, the best league, you know, at least most considered to be the best league, the Premier League. But whatever reason, they come to the World Cup and it's just tired legs. They played so many games and they underachieve. Right. So that's why England makes it difficult. Now, we'll say this though it does help that they do have a lot of young players coming up. They don't have the Roonies, Sturridges, right. you know, Jordan Hendersons to be like focal points. Right. They have guys like Fodden who are fresh legs. They have guys right. like Sancho, Caleb Hudson-Odoi, Rashford, um, Joe Gomez, you know, James Madison, for instance. So, like, they have players in trans Alexander-Arnold. Right. A lot of good... It's a good time for you to be an England fan because you're not so dependent on the aging legs where, in a normal case, you would worry about that long and big schedule. But going into a tournament... They're young, they're fresh, they have, this is their first experience, to which you can say, argue against inexperience in this tournament, because a lot of the guys are young. Well, all we're, all we're saying is that we're going to have a lot of fun watching Absolutely. next year's Euros, 100%. Yeah. And this won't be the last time I'm sure you guys talk about it either. Because, oh, probably you know, not. Got, no, no, we're we're going to do international break specials every single time. For most yeah, of the teams that are going to be the Euro qualifying now. Yeah, yeah, yeah borderline so. to the point where it might not just be a special anymore. It might just, it might just be a, regu- <laughs> a regular <laughs> yeah. episode. Yeah. All right, so, so, so let's, let's keep with that, let's keep with that, uh, with that idea for the, uh, for the future, we'll say. Future. So let's keep with the future idea. Right now, U21, there are some absolute ballers rolling around, right? Mm-hmm. So there are some players that are just killing it. Um, several, obviously, have had big transfers already. So what we're going to look at here is we're going to throw some names out there of players that we believe have the brightest futures in football. But there are some context that we're going to throw in here, okay? So one of them being their name, their first name cannot be Killian, their last name cannot be Mbappe. Right. So that's the first right. one. Yeah. The second one is they cannot have commanded a large transfer fee already. Right. So it can't be mainstream, right? We're cutting out, mainstream. you know, we're cutting yeah. out guys like Mbappe. We're cutting out guys like Jao Felix, uh, players like that, like Rodrigo or Vinicius from Real. Right. right. So Checking we're, those names we're out. cutting these. We, we're cutting these guys out. We're looking for guys that haven't had a huge transfer just yet, but are definitely going to command the football world in the coming future. So I think it's only fair that we have Marcin go first on this one because I was about he to went say. last yeah. last time. I was about to say. Yeah. Um, the courtesy win those over for Matt. So. <laughs> the floor is yours, my man. Yeah, we're, we're done with being nice to Matt. This is, this is going back to uh, our podcast. So in terms of like the big talent that I rate, at least, so this may not be who's the most talented, but who I rate the highest in terms of 
a U21 player that hasn't been really kind of blown up by a large team. So I'm going with Erling Brout Holland. So a lot of guys are a lot of hot kind of hot name right now in terms of world football and for a lot of reasons. So A, it's just from how he looks, like the guy is a walking meme. So Holland is a unit. He is a unit. Six four. He's a he's a big boy. He's a big boy. So Holland is definitely kind of like my pick in, in terms of and, and for a couple of reasons. One, I think he has all the characteristics of you want of a future nine in the making. He's he's a big guy, he has strength, he has composure, he can kind of finish the ball. And he has pace, which is something that you don't really kind of see kind of combined all together into a guy that's that large. So he kind of gives me that kind of younger Ibrahimovic kind of uh, mm-hmm. kind of look to him. But, I mean, if you look at it just from a statistics perspective, yes, it's it's, it's the Austrian Bundesliga. They're, they're not the, the greatest league in the world. But, I mean, 15 goals, 4 assists in 12 matches is great stats. But the thing that I really want to kind of focus on is you can say, oh, he's scoring in the Austrian league. It's a, it's a farmer's league, whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. But he's also the leading goal scorer in the Champions League. Fair. So yeah, he, fair point. So here's his statistics in the Champions League. He scored seven goals so far in four matches. So you have a hat trick against Genk, which obviously is, is one of is, was what I believe the Belgian champion. So you have three goals against the Belgians. You have a couple goals against Napoli, which obviously is a big Serie A side, and then right. you have a couple goals against Liverpool. So he's scoring against the champions of of countries like. I mean, scoring against the the current UCL champions like Liverpool, scoring against a, a Champions League contending team like like Napoli, and then scoring against the champions of Belgium, you have it's kind of like the makeup, in my opinion, of everything that you'd want in a future in a future striker. Mm-hmm. And he's showing it at 19 that he can whatever the stage is, he's he's there. He's going to put up it up. It. Yeah. And, and his quotes have been awesome. So if you <laughs> if you didn't read about his quotes, he he talks about he has five already hat trick balls mm-hmm. uh, for the season. And he sleeps with all of them every single night, and then he wakes up to the Champions League anthem. Like that kid, he knows what's up. He, he's here <laughs> he to eat, sleeps, and breathes the game. He eat exactly, and he's gonna be here for for Champions League wins. He's gonna want those goals. Like that's that's exactly the kind of mentality that I want out of out of a player who's just 19 and kind of on the big scene. And I, I guarantee you, next summer is gonna come at a huge fee. All right, but like next summer he might get a huge fee. But the the real question is. And if you can, if you have this talking point off your head, but uh, what is keeping him from at the age of 19 being another statistic, another guy where we commanded a huge transfer fee for this guy, and then all of a sudden he turns around and he's a bust? So here, here's my opinion on those kind of players. I think they need to go to a club or have a situation where they're kind of taken care of and nurtured. Okay. I, I don't think you can rely on a 19-year-old kid and just kind of throw him out there to the wolves and be like, here, this is how you're going to kind of play moving forward. I think you need to kind of bring him on. Kind of what most kind of major teams do in Italy is they, they don't really throw teenagers to the wolves. You kind of mature them over time a little bit, give them like a, a little playing time as you go along. And that's mm. where you're going to kind of become successful with that player you're not going to just throw him out at 19 into like let's say Juventus's lineup and just be like here score me 20 goals you're going to give him top minutes here you're going to have him coached and trained up by Ronaldo by Higuain and and taught from the defenders how defenders work from Benucci from Chiellini and that's what's going to kind of propel him to be an effective forward if if he went to UA for example yeah but how many players like Italian league wise and Matt might be able to speak to this because he's more versed in the Italian than I am I feel like there are a lot of players that have gone that route and they've went to an Italian club and they got loaned out so many times that unintentionally they ended up not being a part of the first team's plans because of the loanee policy. But the it. issue here with, with Holland is, just to, to say real quick, is he's going to command a large fee. You're not just going to loan him out and, and not have a plan for him. You're not also going to not start him. True. 
But I mean, with, with Delict, Delict wasn't going to be an automatic starter at Juventus, for example, this year. He mm-hmm. was going to get brought in slowly and integrated mm-hmm. into the side. And that's what Sari literally said. Mm-hmm. The only reason that he's playing so much right now is because Killini obviously tore his ACL and he's out for six months. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let the other Serie A experts speak well, on this one. Right. Here's, <laughs> here's, here's what I, I think for a young player, and it's, it's, it's interesting how you know we hear how so many players... You know who played in Syria, who go to play abroad, mm. and how they say yeah, Ibrahimovic has always been one of this. He's been adamant in yeah. saying, you know, like I've played everywhere. I played in England. I played in France. Like right. anywhere imaginable, except the German Bundesliga, of course. But <laughs> um, he's pretty much said like it's Italy has been the toughest. It's the toughest because the space isn't there. There's right. certain things that, and even Ronaldo would probably attest to it too. Although he's not that type of guy to say like, yeah, I'm struggling with those sorts of things. But I think if you for a young player, again, I think Marcin made a great point, is that there, it has to be a proper environment. And there's very few environments in Italy better than Juve to nurture the young talent because of their situation. Because they're not going to have to say, hey, you're going to come into the Milan side and you may struggle to get service. You may struggle to have that supporting cast around you. Versus him going into a Juve where it's like, hey, you have Ronaldo. You have a, you have a serial winner who's done it everywhere, who's won the major trophies that you want to win. Right. You have Iguain who's been... That he's still the current top scorer in, historically in Serie A in, in a single season. And then you combine the fact that you have the, 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 the guys to kind of t- be taken under the wing right. or have them take over you and take, you know, take you under their, their wraps and, and, and guide you through those difficult moments. You know, what, he, what he touched on, I think, was perfect in that you know, there are certain environments where a player like, uh, like we're talking about here is that you, know, you expect him to want to be starting because that's just in your DNA, right? right. I'm scoring goals in the Champions League. I I'm moved not, for I'm 60 million. Yeah, I'm not, not going to be now. a third fiddle. Yeah. That's not happening, right? But I think at the same time, there's a players like that that need to understand their, their place in football. Because he can go to a place where, look, I'll be on loan and I'll play this and do this and do that and score goals. But there's something different about doing it at a big club. I will say this, though. I can totally see a player like uh, Holland here going to uh, Borussia Dortmund or Red Bull Leipzig for like a year, right? year or two, because we've seen this many times. Yep. Right. And they get two years. And we all know how certain clubs work together right. behind the scenes. You know, we all know that if he goes to Red Bull Leipzig, then two years he's probably going to go to Bayern, right? right? Or, you know, Liverpool. Like we said with Timo Werner, something like that. So he's still young. And I think the grand scheme of things, we try to fast track all these teenagers. Well, he scored in the Champions League. He's the start of the big club now. Right. I think there's certain ways you have to kind of prepare these players. But he has the mentality. I think that's very key. Is that he can handle the the difficulties. Okay, well, if I I go to an opportunity like Juve and I don't score for five, six matches, can I rebound and can I recover and still be effective? Because there's no pressure on him. Okay, not to say there's no pressure. He's gonna obviously command a big fee, but there's not that right. level of pressure. He has Ronaldo there. He has Higuain. He has whoever else is at that team mm. to shoulder that load to score goals, and he can mm. kind of just slowly integrate himself into the side, like what I've seen Juve do with with the younger players over the last few years. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I can see I can see both sides of it. I, I mean, I won't linger on this one. I think he's a great player, so I I a hundred I back this pick. I think he's a solid guy. Yeah. Um, but I was just curious what we were thinking in the ways of keeping him from being another statistic. Right, you have right to you, you have to ask that question. It's easy for us to rave about the player when he scores goals, but what about when if he, he goes to you know, changes? Renato Sanchez, right, had a great, That's a good, had really a great good point. Euro yeah. Right, and, he goes he, and, to, and when he, when it, when it push came to the show for him to prove himself and break into a tough Bayern team, couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He, he couldn't was convinced. I would even take it a step further. He was struggling. He was loaned out at Swansea for. Uh, yeah, I think he went to West season. Brom, I think, or something like no, that. It was, Swansea. It was Swansea. Swansea. Okay. Swansea. He went to Swansea. He could barely get himself on the first team. The kid was passing the billboards. Like yeah. it was like yeah. You know, 
But uh, anyways, you know, so let's let's have Matt be the middle guy again on this. I'm gonna try to make it quick because I think this name has been. We actually mentioned it in our, when we talked about England in our three teams to watch for the right. Euro, and he's been the, the 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 topic of discussion for big transfers, uh, really since he kind of broke into the scene last year at Dortmund. Right. Of course, John and Sancho, he had a I think 12 goals, 17 assists last year for Borussia Dortmund. Oh, which, at, at 18 years old, that's just, that's sensational, and balls. you know that's something that you know the numbers speak for themselves. But you also have to watch the player because. You know, when you see him on the ball, he's definitely a player that has that it factor about him. Right. He can play on both wings. Um, he's going to be a, a, a big player for England for sure at the Euro and, and beyond as the project continues to grow. Um, I, I think Sancho is uh, one of those guys that he's still 19, so he still has a couple years to be in that U21 bracket. Right. And I think what's only going to make it more interesting or fascinating to, to follow his journey is how he's able to translate that um, at a bigger and larger club. And, of course, there's a lot of interest around him from the Premier League, Chelsea being one of them. I think he grew up a Chelsea fan, um, mm. former Manchester City youth product. Right. Um, so Sancho is the guy. Again, I know we try to avoid the mainstream guy, and I feel like he's right. somewhat mainstream. But he hasn't commanded that. He hasn't commanded the big fee. Yeah, yet, we so allowed it. They pushed this one through. We pardoned so. him on the techers. And we could have yeah. went a couple That's, ways. I could have went Tonali. I could have went a couple players. But I went with Sancho. Cool. So, so here comes Tim with the obscure pick out of left so, field. Uh, so to- in, a, in a total footy hipster way, I decided that I wanted to go with uh, with somebody that actually Matt had brought his name up. And I'm trying to kind of will his existence into the Roma squad. I think that's what I'm trying to do here. Yeah, basically. Right? So uh, Danny, uh, Danny uh, Olmo, uh, he's a kid, kid solid. He's playing for the Spain setup now. He's, uh, he's looking real good. Uh, his current value, $34 million. Uh, I think that uh, the the Roma team would do well to get him into the squad. And a lot of people are turning around and saying, okay, well, you know, where do we fit him? Right? Well, before we get into where do we fit him, let's get into what he's done. Right? The kid already is already a decorated player within the Croatian League. I get it. It's the Croatian League. It's not a top five league. However, he's already got four championships in that league. He's already got three of their domestic cups. And I believe he has their under-21 championship for Spain riding on his belt as well. So my point to that is that sometimes you can take a player who hasn't won at a large level, but he has experience at a large level, and we can see them succeed or or, Mm -hmm. uh, flounder. And even more so, you look at somebody like this, there's something to a winning mentality, and I think this guy's got it. Mm -hmm. And the reason I think he's got it is because I don't ever see... I've seen highlights of his. I've actually caught a game of Dynamos. um, You know, my... My family's Montenegrin. I like Croatian teams as well. Uh, you know, I like that country. And they're watching him play. I mean, the guy, the guy doesn't play with fear, and he and he's very creative, but he's also very composed. And I think that's really interesting to see. Um, I mean, if you look already on this season, and of course, I always reference uh, transfer market. Uh, they always have a great, accurate site. If we look at it, you know, he can play in a multitude of positions. He's also got two goals, two assists on the season. Uh, and he's just nailing it. Uh, the only thing that I think drives him differently, uh, a lot of Roma fans get skeptical, uh, especially when it comes to Dynamo, uh, because we look at uh, Anthony Kortik mm-hmm. uh, when he came over to Roma. But he was a really one-dimensional, and I, and I liked him for a while until he started bashing the club, basically. So, yeah. uh, you know, when he was at Dynamo, he was pretty one-dimensional. And I think the big difference between him and Danny is that Danny has... That ability where he's got the pace to play out wide, and he's also got the football brain. Of he's not. He's not as limited. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think where sometimes we as Roma fans could be a little critical of signings. I think that he's got a world of potential to him, and I think he's a great shout uh, for somebody who's going to have a bright career. 
Absolutely. That's a very good pick. Yeah, I agree with the pick. We'll see if he comes to Roma and you if you will your way into If he gets if he comes to Roma, I'm getting his jersey. <laughs> it's a it's a yeah. shoe in. It's a shoe in. I willed it. I have to back him. Yeah, I have yeah. to get the jersey. You do have to get the jersey. Okay, so I we mean we got the receipts. We got the receipts. I mean it's on it's on recording now. I can't just uh, yeah. I can't just expunge this. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> let's on the last subject when it comes to international play. We have uh, we have picked uh, from a Instagram account. You could check it out. It's uh, FIFA Crow, so it's uh, F I F A C R O. Credits, and credits. You got to give them credits. If they put the graphics together, I give them the credits. I can't take other people's work. It's not in my, not in my wheelhouse. The honorable man. Honorable uh, to uh, subject. Now nah, uh, subjective. So um, <laughs> we look at this post, and they actually made a really great um, uh, update of future of football. Which national team do we think is going to be the best in a couple years? Now, we have a couple teams we'd like to run down. We'll probably do this at kind of like a 10,000-foot level. There are going to be certain teams where we talk about in depth. Uh, you know, we have in here, we have France, uh, Portugal, Spain, Netherlands, England. I will tell you that uh, as good a graphic as they made, we're probably not going to touch on the Netherlands lineup, uh, specifically because a lot of those players are currently playing. And on top of that, some of the players actually declare different nationalities. Uh, Dest is an example that's on that sheet that plays for the U.S. He declared for yep. the U.S. Uh, so, you know, let's let's go from here and let's look at the future of Spain first because, to Matt's point, always a powerhouse, always in contention, always got some good players rolling around there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I mean, you could, you, could, you could touch on, um, you know, several different players in their squad. We, we obviously, you know, alluded to what Spain has been coming through with the pipeline. Their, their U21 level, their U17, U19s, they've always been just winning the European championships, which speaks volumes as to what they got going on in the, in the lower ranks. But, um, you know, you have Ansu Fati, you have Inaki Williams, uh, you know, some players that have, you know, obviously made headway this season. But Inaki Williams has been one um, who's been kind of in the eye for a public eye for a while. Um, he hasn't made that big, big move, but I think he's been a player that's kind of been on the fringe where we're still trying to feel out what his, his ceiling is. Um, as as an international I mean, the ceiling is the kid's got a nine year contract. <laughs> no, of course he's you know, you know what is it, we, we, we don't we we don't we don't we don't playing forever. He's he's got he's got the back secured. <laughs> he's he's security I mean, obviously yeah. in goal. You have you have, you have Kepa, who's uh, you know the, the number one at Chelsea and you know right. pretty much uh, refusing to get subbed off by Maurizio. Sorry, so the guy's balls. Um, <laughs> Fabian Ruiz is we're, a player. We're, we're gonna allow, side note. We're gonna allow balls once. Yes, once. well we're talking about soccer balls. So yeah. yeah we're talking I know he's, balls. Got, he's got balls. He's got a lot of soccer balls, right? Yeah. Right. Um, and, and the player, you know, I'm not gonna go through too much into their, their roster itself, but the one player that sticks out to me, at least, and I think the way that Napoli situation is going, um, is Fabio Ruiz. Is he's gonna be a pillar in that midfield for for years to come, along with Daniel Mo, I think, and you can you know, definitely make a case for them too as being you know key fundamental players um, for this project. But Fabio Ruiz has been a player that um, you know they bought Napoli bought from thirty for thirty million euro a release clause from Real Betis last year. I mean, really, since he's been able to convince Ancelotti to get to the starting eleven, he's been a mainstay for them. He's been one of the bright spots this season, and I think the way again things are going at Napoli. Um, and with all the interest coming from Barcelona, Real Madrid, and the need for those clubs to, and more so probably Real Madrid, to get some youth in the midfield because, right. again, yeah. Modric, Tony Cruz, Cruz yeah. um, who, who, who can still play. I'm not saying that, but I think right. Fabian Ruiz is the kind of the right player to play at that level. I think his, his career projects to kind of be more back in uh, La Liga. Okay, yeah. but guys, guys, guys. Guys, guys, guys. Guys, guys, guys. What do we think on the center back pairing we have here? Uh, obviously, most folks here might just get an opportunity to look at the post right now. 
They have uh, Ermos and uh, Nacho at center backs, uh, with uh, Angelino at uh, left back, at uh, left back, and then Odriozola at right back. Do we think that defense, though, as good as you know, some of these guys have some sweet potential. Do we think that defense, though, is good enough? To retain a World Cup title in the future, or in the future, maybe even a Euro title in the future. Do we think they're good enough? That's tough. Not, not when you look at the third team. <laughs> that's, like, the thing that's, that's a tough. What's one. tough about that is because for so many years is that you know Spain have been able to. They know what who they had in the back. Right. right? You know they had. You look behind. You're like you got Ramos and Piquet. Right. Regardless and before, of, and before you had Puyol. And Puyol. You had the line. You, back you know. Yeah. So you know when 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 push came to shove, even if they were in the kind of twilight of their career. You always can say, like, Puyol's going to do his thing. You know, is going to do his thing. You're Ramos. They're all... And they've won before. And they right. play the biggest levels. They know right. they had to deal with pressure. And I think that's kind of the biggest thing is that with the social media era right. is that everyone likes to say, oh, this guy's this, this guy's that. Can he play with the ball? Can he... There, there's right. the expectations for central defenders now right. are so high because it's, it's crazy. Like, if you can't play with the ball... Yeah. Then everyone's like, yeah, but he can't, he can't pass. He, he can't, can't do this. He can't ping a thirty yarder. So fucking sixty yarder. To, to your point, I, I, I think you're know, rating the rating the defense and the, what the future holds for Spain. I think that could be probably the most concerning area. But I think if you look at the other areas of their their squad going forward, I think they're they're pretty well set. Okay. Since we said that we're skipping over the Netherlands, which was the second team. Right. So I'm skipping over right to the third team, which for me is the funnest, and that's the future <laughs> of France. So I'll just give like a quick rundown of the starting eleven that they put. So it's a four-three-three with Coman, Mbappe, and Dembele up Coman top. Can't stay healthy though. You have Tolisso. Hold on. <laughs> Iuar and Dembele in the midfield, and then you have Mendy, Hernandez, Upamecano, Pavard, and Lafont in the back. So to your point before, where you said can that Spanish backline compete? It can't compete with that. Yeah. That, that that attack and that that entire team from France. Is looks absolutely unreal. And the funny thing too is, I, I, me, kind of like bring up, like, yeah, but Coleman can't stay healthy. They have someone else. They, yeah, it's generational like, you know talent is insane. <laughs> like we don't, yeah, we don't even know what their bench looks like. And I yeah. always, and I always like to talk about this too because, you know, we can look at the the, the starting eleven, right? But yeah. I think you always look at what teams or what squad gets called up for international break. And I think the most interesting thing is, is not who gets called up, who doesn't. True. To sure. show what type of depth they have. And That's I think insane. France and Spain over the years have been, and Germany as well, have been three of the nations that have always had that luxury. But Matt, to your point, you look at this France future lineup, right? Yeah. You mentioned the word dynasty before. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. have a World Cup in the bag already. They're looking good for Euro this year. These lineups are probably reflective of the next Euros coming up after this one. I mean, we're looking at a dynasty squad, guys. Like, we have to be. This is this yeah. is Spain level. They could get yeah. to that point. You think yeah, so? That's, I mean, yeah. it's insane. It's it's un, unrivaled. Back to back winners of tournaments, like triple three peats. Like I, I can hundred yeah. percent see it. It's yeah. and it's it's as as tough as it is to, to do what Spain did. I think if you look at the, the landscape and, and the overall pool of teams right now, right. France is the most likely to be the next team, the next top team. We thought it was going to be Germany. Right. I think a lot of people thought it was going to be Germany. I mean, they put the money into that youth system. Right. They pulled it across. And but I think if you look at what France has, is that they have, again, they have like, if you look at probably 35 strong. And all these yeah. years, the, they, they, a quote came out, I think, from the, uh, the, uh, the Federation president for France. They're like, Benzema has no chance coming to this squad. Like, yeah. the fact that you can say no to a Benzema who's, like, been as consistent as they come as a striker for years. Oh, yeah. Guys double digits most season. Yeah. yeah. it's It speaks volumes to, the, to, to their depth. But, you know, actually, I have, a, I have a thought here. And I don't know I don't know what we think of this, but... It's a dangerous move. Le- yeah, yeah. Me <laughs> thinking is rough. Uh, so, uh, Ligun, 
has a reputation for being a farmer's league. Mm-hmm. Sure. However, if we look at top transfers, if we look at players that come across, more often than not, who where do you pull the young, exciting players from? Leon. Leon. Yeah. Thierry Henry. Mbappe. We look at Baca these players. Yoko, Silva. Look at yeah. all these players that get yeah. pulled from this league. This league gets bashed and prodded all over the place. However, do you think it's an example of their care for developing talent that they have this squad depth? I mean, is there an argument that could be made that the reason that this league is so open in play is because there's so much talent rolling through? Well, I think I think that there's a lot of you could make a case for both because I think you know calling calling it a farmers league is one thing. It's kind of like one of those things that kind of turns people off sometimes. Right? Um, is that like when they say, "Well, you look people." I've heard people say Italy's a farmers league. You look at some of the six, seven teams in the bottom of the table. Look at the points. Look at the teams. Look at the players they have. Right. Right. So you could kind of make the case for certain clubs around you know Europe. Anywhere. Yeah. But I think if you look at what what, what the Liga O has been able to do has been it's been a, a perfect league for those 19, 20, 21 year olds to right. kind of get in, get first team football. Show your perfect show example. Your Nicholas Pepe right. was another one. He had a great year. I think he was one of a few players that had like I think twenty goals, at least twenty goals and fifteen assists. Right. He made the big move to Arsenal. We saw it you know, time and time again, even Monaco, some of the players obviously staying in France, but, right. you know, Bakayoko, Silva, Mendy, I mean, the list goes on and on. So I think it's a great, for in terms of speaking on just the international level, mm. I think it's a great um, a place for them to kind of set and kind of feed their international team and kind of get that right. consistency. Develop. If you want to everywhere. talk about yeah. the depth of the league, I think that's another conversation. Mm. Fair. Right. Fair. Thoughts on that, Marcin? No thoughts. No thoughts. No thoughts. Marson does not let Ligon <laughs> occupy any cor- corridor of his mind. Unless it's watching Mbappe just absolutely destroy it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we carry on. Where do we carry on to, Marson? We carry on to the last team that we're going to talk about in terms of our little little teams, and that's going to be the future of Portugal. I'm going to let you on that. All right, so the reason that he's letting me in on the future of Portugal is because if we look at this starting 11, right? So if we start from... Bottom to top, because that's how championships are won. We start from the back. So Diego Costa, uh, or not Diego Costa. <laughs> Diogo Costa. Diogo Costa. That's a typo. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, so it ranked uh, in 83 currently. But uh, anyway, if we carry forward, uh, Delat at left back. We have Ruben Diaz, who's a unit at center back. And then another unit uh, unit in uh, Ferrero at uh, center back. Jao Cancelo holding it down strong at the right back spot. That midfield three, we have Ruben Neves, uh, Bernardo Silva, and uh, Florentino. And then we look at the forwards. On left wing, uh, we have uh, Gudes. Uh, we have the striker and Jao Felix. And then we have Jota at right wing. I mean, look, from back to front, this is probably one of the better squads that Portugal will ever have uh, in their existence as a country. And uh, I would also make the argument that uh, while they would be losing uh, a not just generational talent, but a true legend of the game in Ronaldo in a couple mm. of years, I would argue that their team will perform better as a unit going forward. They won't be as Ronaldo dependent. Exactly. You look at teams and it happens all over, right? We look at what happened. Uh, Juve, I thought, was a pretty decent example where it's not that the players don't know how to play without him. And for argument's sake, recently they've been playing better without him. Right. However, Uh-oh. when the guys on the field, your, your mentions about to blow up. Right. My mentions are about to blow up. So, however, when the guys on the field, mm-hmm. people just naturally gravitate towards giving him the ball. Right. It becomes in my mind that you're looking as a player and you go, I need to find Ronaldo for this play. I need to find Ronaldo for that play. 
But what I can also give credit to, and, and I don't know if this is down to his form or not, but between Portugal, between Juve, players are figuring out how to, I don't want to say play without him, but I want to say they're figuring out how to play with him to a lesser extent where they can play their game as well. Mm-hmm. And nobody has to be afraid of upsetting the big man. There was a, there was a, I forgot which player, Juve, Juventus player spoke on this last year. Um, so I, 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 if I find the information, I'll tweet it out or something like that. I'll tell the guys and they'll tweet it out. But there was, uh, in year one with Ronaldo Juve, there was a lot of players, you know, like Dybala, Bernadeschi, for instance, Costa, um, that were pretty much saying like, you know, in normal cases, we would, in, when we got into this situation with the ball, we would do this. But because we had Ronaldo in our mind, we were always trying to just feed, feed, feed Ronaldo. Right. Because you're, everyone's so accustomed to doing that. Right. Because it's, it's natural. He's a you know, potent goal scorer. He's done it everywhere he's been. So mm-hmm. I think that's what, and, you know, to Tim's point, how players are not playing with him. They're playing, like, for him almost. It's like, right. where's Ronaldo on the field? you got to give him the ball. We're down a goal. Right, right. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Instead of believing in themselves and saying, hey, you know, Bernadeschi, I have some quality. Or Costa, I can do this. I can do that. And yeah. we saw what Costa did in the yeah. Champions League. He saved him. Dybala came off the bench, scored two goals versus Locomotive, got the victory. Yeah. So there are certain players that can, in the squad, play with Ronaldo. Right. Dybala being one. But then there's some players where it's like, they just don't quite mesh well. I yeah, and I think in you know, and I support that, and that's why you know I'm looking at this, and we were making a conversation before where we were saying, you know, can Ronaldo be a bit player in a team? Well, if you look at this team, mm-hmm. you don't mind riding the back seat for a little bit because you're going. These guys are going to take care of business. These guys. They'll play in the games where I don't really feel like playing. Yeah, almost yeah, to they, a sense. You're like, I don't they, really feel like yeah, playing I don't against have Algeria. To be involved in this, right? right? No offense to Algeria. Yeah, no. I, yeah, watch out for your mentions. No, yeah. but uh, so uh, if we look at it, you know, I think while Portugal aren't going to be the strongest, right? They're no France. Uh, however, they have a really strong team. At least the yeah. starting eleven to several Benfica form out of that. main Benfica guys too. Yeah, I mean, look yeah. at their. And that's another that's another uh, squad I would say that does not get the credit they deserve. I mean, you look at Benfica. Uh, Benfica produces. Ja Felix. Oh my God! They, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. one. It's but between but many, many between yeah between them and Porto, I mean, look how much talent Sporting they. Pro- so I don't know. I mean, certain leagues get good media coverage, and this is kind of a, a little sidebar to the conversation we're having right now. But you know, certain certain leagues may get better media coverage. But, I mean, look at the talent, look at where it comes from, and I think that's the definitive statement. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that will conclude our Euro international kind of under-21 kind of topic. There is one more topic in terms of international football that we would like to kind of just briefly touch touch upon before we kind of get into the little bit more fun stuff that we have planned for the other half of the podcast, and that's the German FA. And I'm going to let Tim kind of take the reins on this one with the announcement. Okay, so German FA turns around. Great moment says, hey, we're not partaking in any games where women are not being treated equally to their male uh, counterparts within the country, okay? So they turn around and they make that stance straight from the president's mouth, they make that stance. Yep. Huge stance, and I love it, right? I love it because it turns around and it says, and it says hey, we're, we're not stuck in the old times anymore, right? We're Europe, we're new Europe, we're ready to roll, we're getting this going, mm-hmm. right? However, <laughs> there's, there's, always, but. there's always a but. Okay, and there's always a but. And if you are making that statement on a political standpoint, if you are saying that politically speaking, we will not go to other countries where women are on a legal level not treated equally, I 100% support that statement. Like with the whole issue with Saudi Arabia and the, and the Super Cup for the Italian thing. Perfect. That was, that was a huge, huge Perfect issue. example, right? So if you're making that statement, I have no issue with that statement. 
However, I am also saying you should practice what you preach on a domestic football level, okay? What, what do I mean by that? Well, what do I mean by that is that their premier women's division in the German league has 12 teams. These 12 teams are not all the first Bund, uh, the Bundesliga top division teams. They are teams spread across Germany. Uh, certain teams that are playing in the B division have teams in there. Uh, and it's 12 teams, whereas the men's team, uh, or the men's league rather, has 18 teams. Mm. Okay, so if you're taking a political stance, I respect and I appreciate that. However, you have enough money. That is a specific league where you can model the fact that you have 18 teams in the men's league. You can field 18 teams in the women's league. There is no space in that statement for you to contradict yourself on a domestic level. Given on a national level, right, on an international level, yes, Germany treats people very well. Uh, and you know that's fine, but you know you can't contradict yourself. You have to back it, right? right. So uh, Germany's women's team has been performing better and better as the tournaments have gone on. However, they need to take the extra step. I think if you're making that kind of statement, it's voluntarily taking a magnifying glass and looking at your own policies when it comes to your domestic leagues as well. Mm -hmm. So while I respect their political stance and saying that we're not playing in anything with that Saudi Arabia scenario is a great example, uh, you know, I respect that. However, on your domestic level, get it going. You have the funds. You, of all leagues, are such a domestic-owned league, mm -hmm. right? What I mean by that is that they have a lot of stock in their own clubs, right? Some of their towns own their own clubs. You have the ability to make this happen. Make it happen. Get it going. Right? Right. I 100% agree with you. Absolutely. 100% back. And that was Tim Rant's for the day. That was Tim's rant. That was Tim's uh, equality rant. And uh, I will always make an equality rant. Everybody love everybody. That's my mood for it. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so having said that, we're going to kind of end our little international kind of section and we're going to get to the fun stuff. So like Ooh, I the said, fun stuff. the fun stuff. So fun stuff. since the first this part is, wasn't fun? Not it was fun. fun. <laughs> so since this is quote unquote our international break special, right. and I use quote unquote very loosely, <laughs> since this will be probably a normal thing we do for future episodes. So we decided to do a couple fun uh, or a little bit more obscure topics to kind of end our podcast. And we have kind of two that we're going to work with today. And the first one is it is kind of like Tim's favorite and kind of like me as a hobby also kind of a big thing that I've gotten into since I've known Tim for so many years, <laughs> and that's our uh, our boot bag, our own personal footy foop, uh, boot bags. Do cleats make the player? No. no, but do cleats make the player better? Yes. Yes, if 100%. the right cleat is selected. All right, and that seems like a contradicting statement, but I love collecting boots. I love Adidas boots. I love Nike boots. I'll wear any other boot. I've worn Umbro from time to time. Doc Martens. Doc Martens on, <laughs> Doc Martens on the indoor if it calls for it. No, so, boots. <laughs> so, so having said that, what is right now your preferred boot in your boot bag and why do you use it? My preferred boot in my boot bag. I will not ask for the drum roll. It doesn't need a drum roll. But the X19.1 that was recently released uh, by Adidas. Which uh, colorway are you running? I have, of course, true to my Roma colors, I have to wear the one of the few colorways that actually had red in it. So it's the launch colorway with the silver red. Uh, and the reason that I'm wearing that colorway is because, yes, of course, I am partial to red colorways. Yes. And uh, I love Makes my Roma. Uh, however, that boot is excellent because it's lightweight. It's the closest thing to an F50 you could find for a decent price on the market. Very true. Um, as well, I believe it's pretty well made. You can get it. It's pretty wide fit as well. Uh, I do have uh, shorter, wider feet, and uh, for weird L feet. Yeah, for, <laughs> and that can be really hard at times. 
makes me look good on the pitch. However, it could be really hard at times to find a boot that's wide enough and comfy enough, but reactive enough that it all works out. So if you're somebody that has a wider foot or you have a kid that has a wider foot and they're looking for something a little more flashy, 100% recommend that X19.1. It's a great boot. And you can get them for relatively inexpensive prices. We've definitely seen them on the market for at legit websites for close to what, 100 $110 for a pair yeah, of boots? I like, picked, yeah, I think I picked mine up for right under 100 when I when I got them. So, uh, so great, at, pr- great yeah. price points for those boots. And like you kind of mentioned, lightweight, kind of used for all kind of purposes. Anything else in your boot bag that you like? So as far as my boot bag goes, um, let's think here. What else? What else am I a big fan of in my boot bag? Oh, I know which one—the one that you have four pairs of. Oh well. Uh, so of course I am partial to the Nike Premier. I think the Nike Premier is the most underrated cleat on the market right now. Hashtag underrated. Hashtag underrated. Why? Because it's genuine leather. It's a quality boot, and it lasts long. One thing that I always point out to both players that I coach and people that I actually just naturally kick around with and ask me about boots is that. When you buy something, you want it to last, okay? Mm -hmm. And that is my huge quarrel uh, when it comes with uh, the most recent vapors that Nike have released, uh, specifically because we play on turf a lot. We're from New Jersey, we play on turf a lot. We do. It's just natural. Uh, The point of me stating that is because the Premier does extremely well on turf. Premier holds up very nicely. I think the X19.1 holds up nicely as well. The Vapor is a quality boot. I love the knitting on it, however, the bottom on the sole plate has two separate pieces to it that run underneath it. And more often than not, a lot of people that play really, really frequently with the same exact pair, i.e. your high schooler that owns one pair of cleats, that cleat is gonna rip on you. You're gonna send it in and be cleatless for at least a couple weeks. Which Nike. is why people always, like they, they can't, like your 18, 19 year old isn't gonna have two or three, or like in our cases, more than that boots to exactly. kind of rotate. So if they tear their boot mid-season, that's them spending another two, $300 for a new pair. Yeah, which is basically ridiculous to think of that because you know if you're a young player, here's my other piece to it. As somebody who coaches, if you're a young player, trust me, having a nice boot is a great, is a great thing to have. However, having a dependable boot, one that's comfortable for you, I always, always, always preach priority on comfort and fit over flashiness and uh, you know any other trait that you might value on a boot. Because if you're that young, you're just learning your craft, you should be focusing on your mentality as opposed to your cleat itself. Right, right. And then you can get the flashy boots. And then you can get, yeah, once I you love learn how my to do, flashy boots. Once oh. you learn how to do Rabonas, <laughs> then you could get flashy boots. Yeah, so uh, we'll hand it, we'll hand it uh, let's, look at, let's look at Matt's favorites. How about we do that? So I don't know, I definitely don't have as many boots as these guys. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've seen the, 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 the boots they've kind of reeled off in our, in our indoor league uh, with the past so handful of games, but... Um, fake Madrid, look fake, for Fake us. Madrid, try to fake Madrid, how <laughs> fake Madrid. Um, you know, but the boots that I've been going with the past, I guess, handful of years that I've kind of been kind of rotating in and out, and I just added one to my collection recently, Phantom Visions. Um, the pliability of the boot, I think, is the biggest key for me is that you know, some of the previous ones that I've worn in the past, um, they've had the extra padding, but the extra weight to them, it's, it's again, to your point, they are durable and they feel good, right. which I think is very important. But I think there's something about, you know, having a boot where you can feel the ball whereas, versus mm-hmm. where you have like that, that padded boot um, where it kind of, you know, you don't feel like you're making that, that extra touch. You know, it just doesn't feel right. like you're controlling the ball like you probably want to. Right. So I think the Phantom Visions are ones that um, I've definitely been happy with, happy to have. Something that's, again, light, flexible. Um, it has that sock light feature to it, which is and something I've never had. I've always been a, a lace guy. Right. But I've also been rotating for our indoor league um, 
the mercurial ones. I don't know if you guys remember them, the cactus colored ones. Oh, yeah. I've had them for such a long time <laughs> and I haven't played because I rotated. I have those and I have the gold hyper venoms, the Neymar ones. Right. Um, those, those are my flashy ones. Those are your flashy <laughs> That's ones. That's the flashy those ones. Those are my flashy when, ones. Yeah, your 21st birthday, go out and buy yourself a flashy pair. Because one, <laughs> well, one, one of my first pairs, they, they, they wore down, they broke off when I was, you know, taking a couple of kicks at, uh, at my high school. So I have three now, but that's typically what my rotation looks like. The gold hypervenoms, the AMR ones, the right. cactus-colored mercurial ones, I think from the 2014 World Cup, if I'm correct. And then the Phantom Visions I just added, which um, I would definitely argue are my most expensive ones and probably my most comfortable ones. Okay. It's not a bad collection, and uh, yeah, Matt is definitely an amateur boot collector, but we will, uh, we will, we'll turn, convert him, him we will turn him we into will the convert dark him arts yet. of boots. <laughs> Uh, in terms of my boot bag, there's been one boot that's been kind of synonymous with me use, being used for the last couple of years, and I've kind of rotated between different color variations for quite a while, and that's been the uh, Gen 3 Hypervenom with the honeycomb design. So that was one that I really used for uh, a couple of years. I love the original OG Hypervenoms. They were probably one of my favorite boots I ever used. So when they, uh, they reintroduced that honeycomb style to the Gen 3 Hypervenoms, those are ones I really liked. Uh, but... In terms of what I use kind of now on a day-to-day -day basis, there's literally two only models that I've kind of used. Uh, one is the new recent Copa 19 Plus, uh, which is a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the boot. Great boot. It's one of the first boots that I've actually used in a very long time that's actually made out of leather. I've never been a very big leather guy, but these boots are actually fantastic. They're not like super heavy on your feet. Like you kind of would get that uh, misconception of most leather boots, like, oh, they feel heavy and clunky mm -hmm. on your feet. Uh, the Copas do not. They're awesome. Uh, I'm a I'm a very big fan of laceless technology. I think it's I think it's done marvels for the boot industry, and that's why I've, I've really liked the Copas. Uh, also, I picked them up for a very good snag. So for a two hundred and sixty dollar boot, paying one hundred and ten dollars uh, for them, brand I'll new. I'll take that any day of the week. I'll take that any day of the week. So <laughs> the Copas have definitely been my uh, favorite at least recently. Um, one boot that I'm actually very much looking forward to uh, owning very soon is going to be the new Vapor Elite. And I'm probably going to pick it up in the singles day colorway, which is that kind of orange and black kind of combo, uh, just because I really like Vapors. I've worn, I think, three generations of Vapors now, uh, Vapor 12, 11, 10, 9, and now that on Vapor 13, if I, if I remember something correctly, like right, that, something yeah. along those lines. So Vapor 13s are definitely going to be my boot bag coming very soon. Uh, I've worn Vapors for a really long time. And, and kind of to Tim's point, with the new Vapors, uh, they are a little bit more known to be for more slimline feet. Uh, but I think on the new generations now, them adding kind of that flying it technology to the boots, it's kind of opened up the eyes of hey, you don't need a narrow foot to kind of get your mm -hmm. kind of get a use out of a vapor. I think you can have a little bit more wider feet and kind of sneak into a vapor and kind of get those kind of boots that a lot of people have been thinking like oh I don't have a thin foot I can't get a vapor. Um, so I think the vapors are are definitely a little bit more of an underrated boot. Um, so I think that's definitely going to be something I'm going to really enjoy using in our Hala, Hala Fake Madrid. Hala Fake Madrid. Hala Fake Madrid season. <laughs> um, so before we kind of wrap up, there's one more kind of like fun topic that we kind of want to talk about. And that is going to be uh, something actually you guys actually asked uh, for us to do. And that's a uh, FIFA Ultimate Team or slash Pez kind of little talking segment. Um, so Tim gets on FIFA occasionally. Uh, Tim will take a back seat on this one. <laughs> Tim, Tim will, but Tim does play FIFA occasionally, but he will take a back seat on this one. Uh, Matt plays a little bit more Pez than I do. Um, I did buy Pez this year, and I did buy uh, FIFA this year also. So I do have both kind of FIFA games. And in, in my instance, just to kind of, kind of just briefly go over what I kind of wanted to talk about with foot, um, just some fun kind of like very uh, casual play this year for me. Last year I played a lot more. Uh, competitively playing a lot more weekend leads, doing a lot more uh, Div Rivals, uh, playing in the higher divisions of G uh, Division 2-3, uh, 
uh, playing the occasional weekend uh, league was a lot of fun. I used almost every single icon last year. Uh, I think besides uh, Pele and R9 were the only ones that I really didn't get a chance to use, but I've used a, at least one version of every single other one. So just some like quick little hits on some fun little casual cards that I've used this year. Uh, I run usually a Serie A-based team. Um, so I ran as Tim tries to do some weird things in front of my face. Uh, <laughs> Douglas Costa's gold card, just a very basic card, under 10K, uh, super great. Got got a lot of ton of pace. Use it on the wing. I kind of just use it for, the, obviously, the skills also, kind of dribbling, cut in, uh, distribute out to the ball to the rest of my squad. So that, one, that one's a very good card to use. Uh, Paulo Dybala's gold card is another one that I've really liked to use, his 88 card. Uh, a lot of fun. Last year, Paulo wasn't wasn't great for me in game so this year was a little nice change of pace he's been a fantastic car to have in my squad uh very underrated uh recently re released the even though i know tim is not gonna doesn't really like this guy it's the juan jesus roma yeah. road <laughs> to the final card which upgrades the further roma go in the europa league uh, but his 81 base card is actually an absolute unit fantastic card i've used uh just something i'm having a lot of fun with like i said this year i'm playing a lot more casually uh, I've kind of taken like a week on, week off of FIFA. I'm not really doing weekend league this year. So a lot more uh, casual. I do post my lineups, and uh, anybody's always free to, to shoot me a message and to get a game going if they ever uh, are feeling bored uh, this year. Uh, I do play Pez a little bit this year. Uh, I usually play that for just for strictly for career mode. I'm not really a huge fan of the uh, the My Foot mode or whatever it's called. My it, Club. My Club, sorry. Yeah. My Club mode in, in Pez. I'm just not really a big fan of it. I think Foot's got that kind of... Uh, under wraps, but I do love Pez's career mode this year. Uh, I've played a couple, maybe like a couple dozen games so far this uh, this year in, in Pez, and I've really liked the game. I think the gameplay is awesome. My only kind of issue with Pez this year has been his, his skill moves are a little bit more difficult to do uh, than FIFA. It's a little bit a little bit more challenging. Uh, what have your thoughts so far been about Pez? So Pez, it's it's definitely a different experience. I think if you're so accustomed, like myself, um, and I'm sure you as well, making that that transition as well, from playing FIFA to going to Pez, um, which mind you, again, it's just for some additional background information, I've played all FIFA from FIFA 06, really since FIFA 18. I didn't buy FIFA 19, and of course FIFA 20, I didn't buy because of my uh, my uh, stance against their lack of uh, integration with career mode and all that stuff. But right, true. That's beside the point. We'll, we'll, I'm not going <laughs> to go off. The, I'm not going to go off. You know. We can rant about that for hours. Um, but Pez, I, I, I don't know. I think if you're if you're someone who's so invested and immersed in the FIFA Ultimate Team experience, which I know many are listening to this, and that's really kind of grown with the, with the you know inclusion of FIFA Ultimate Team in yep. the FIFA you know series. I think Pez is probably one of those games where you may not feel like you want to go that route because, again, you know, there's a lot of people that have kind of given career mode a backseat yep. to the Ultimate Team. Weekend League, there's so much more emphasis and so much yep. more put into Ultimate Team because of the money that, obviously, EA can make and, you know, obviously the, the relationship it has with players, the Premier League, and all that stuff, yep. which I think is also another t a factor that works against Pez is that they don't have all the licensing of some of the leagues. Of course, Serie A and Serie B is a great one for me as a Serie A fan. And if you, guys are, if you guys are Serie A fans, I think you guys will definitely enjoy that as well. Um, I think besides, if you want to look beyond my club, which is the kind of, I guess, the equivalent, if you will, um, the, that to FIFA Ultimate Team, and the fact that they don't have all the licensing for the leagues, I think Pez... Wait, which sidebar yeah. you can get on, you, on well, PlayStation Well, you can. PC. You can do... There's, there's, there's mod packages. There's a lot of face, uh, face updates and stuff like that. Which will essentially give you the full jerseys, the full stadium... The full, full badges, full the full kits. names. Right, it's not licensed, licensed through the team. It's one of those things that people have mods. They create them and you can download them 
them into your game. So but you're pretty much getting you, the same thing. But you wouldn't notice looking at it from a different game if, if that, there's no difference. Right. There's no like, oh, this is not this. this it, it would. It's, it's someone just creating it depending and on the game. The only issue I have with this is it's only available on PlayStation and on PC. Obviously, I play on Xbox, Xbox One. Yeah. So that's the only drawback of this whole mod situation for Pez for me was I couldn't utilize that feature because it's not available on my console. That's a that's an Xbox issue. That's not a Pez issue. And I'll say and I'll, no no you're good. That was a good that was a good addition there. And I think you know if you're if you're someone who like myself has always relied on career mode or that sort of like you know franchise mode, whatever you want to play in games in your sporting games uh, over the course of your life, like I have. Um, I've always given like kind of like somewhat a 50-50 between my career mode and my ultimate team when I'm getting absolutely battered by team of the season teams on ultimate team and I my team sucks or my team's not up to that par. Um, I always kind of go into career mode while mash teams and it just gives me like that, hey, I'm still playing FIFA but I'm not having to deal with people who maybe paid $500 for their squad or yeah. play religiously, you know what I'm saying? So um, It's a lot more casual and it kind of gives you that like, hey, I can do whatever I want with that. With my right, team kind of and I think again, if you're someone who is really in, it really um, puts a lot of emphasis into career mode. I think Master League in, in Pro Evolution Soccer um, has done a great job with it. I think you know they have all the things that you want in terms of the that, that had transfers are operated. Mm -hmm. um, how you it's, do, it's very realistic. It's, it's very, very realistic, realistic, and it's really down to the T. But I also think that overall, when we're talking on just the gameplay, game gameplay versus gameplay between the two games, I like the Pro Evolution Soccer feel, and I've talked, I've told many people on this on on Twitter specifically because they've asked me why I made that transition is that it feels more rewarding the build up the build up to a goal because 100%. I think the the finishing is not as simplistic it's not as gimmicky I think that I see a lot of FIFA right. things is kind of gimmicky where like these rainbow back heels over goalkeepers right and it's like the passing and the build up to the goal FIFA is definitely known to be more of an arca arcade, arcade type game, style game which yeah. obviously like I said that's that's definitely the biggest contrast between the two like like I mentioned before my only gripe about Pez was that skill moves aren't easily it was, done. It was a little bit more clunkier to get executed. Right, and that's yeah. because I'm used to FIFA, me being able to do a back heel, a back simple heel stick and, and, just... and do elasticos and just be able to kind of roll through teams like that. Right. And then in Pez, to your point, you have to kind of build up the play. It's more realistic to how football's played. If you, in, like, in that, if you like that experience and you're not, again, someone who's, you know, Wants to get burned down the flanks and just kind of get like, yeah, you know, if you, if you have a or rainbow in, in FIFA Ultimate Team, you're just ghosting through players. Yeah, yeah. You can't keep it's, up with them. It's ridiculous. It's, it's, Pro Evolution Soccer is a different experience, and I encourage anyone who's possibly interested. I think they're running a lot of promos during Black Friday and yeah, the sure holiday season, so you can get it for like 20, 30 bucks. 20, 30 dollars yeah. if you're looking to say, hey, you know what? It's I'm worth a shot. Not all Ultimate Team, but I will give PES a shot for that career mode. Yeah, and like I said, I bought both. Kind of for that reason, so I can kind of have the best of both worlds. Because right. the my club mode isn't really my cup of tea, just personally, just because I think Foot's got it kind of. They got it cornered. They got the yeah. They have cornered. that cornered. So I bought both just because I wanted to still play Foot, which is the only thing I play on FIFA. And then I, I bought Pez strictly so I could do a career mode with Juventus and have that kind of like Juve experience because obviously Juventus aren't in in FIFA because of the licensing issues. Piemonte Calcio. Piemonte Forza Piemonte. And did you see real quick? Did you see that with the the Football Manager 2020 coming out? Their yes. name Zeb Zebra. See, but the same thing with with, with the with the mods for 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 Pez. people will come people out with a mod gonna, for yeah, it. Yeah, they're gonna mod look it out. Look at the Juventus badge. Look at the Juventus yeah, name. That, that, that's gonna be like a non-issue yeah. for anybody that's gonna be playing Football Manager. Uh, Tim, is there anything that you want to add? There is nothing I would like to add on this subject, but Aww. I would like to use this as an opportunity to give a shout out to Marcin for my super awesome birthday present. Yep. It is a none other than a signed Alessandro Florenzi autograph card, and I am super excited about it, and it will be going up in my apartment 
And I am, uh, again, I think this is like the third time I said excited within the last two seconds. <laughs> yeah. Most Very underrated sad. player at Roma, if you have a problem with him at Roma, at me at Footy Kuji, and we can discuss and have a debate about it. But you will be wrong at the end of the conversation. So He's very with that, <laughs> I would just advise nobody get him started on this topic. With that, yeah, we do not have the time to talk about this. But with that, I just wanted to sign off on that note. But thanks again for listening. I've been Tim. I'm Marcin, and we've uh, like like I said once again, like to send out a, a big thank you to our special guest Appreciate Matt it, guys. for today's. Uh, podcast. So uh, one quick note from my end uh, before we end today's episode is go check out my Twitter because I'm starting a little giveaway today, and Ooh, it will have small. to do with it's a little small giveaway, and Ooh, we'll have to I do. I almost cut it short. Eh? Nobody would have known about the giveaway. 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 The authenticated Pavel Nedved signed photo. Oh my goodness. The man himself. My favorite player of all time, Pavel Nedved. Oh my God. He showed Rabiot what a Ballon d'Or was. Oh my goodness. He showed it to him. And and Rabiot asked, is that the real one? And Nedved was like, yes, that's the real one. Of which you'll never have. <laughs> so, so check out my Twitter later on tonight, guys, and uh, I'm gonna run that promo for about a, uh, that giveaway for about a week for anybody who wants to get entered to win, and then we'll see who the lucky winner is next week. So for that, I will be signing us off and have a great night, guys. Later.